In this episode, I'm going to talk about the only way I would buy property in my own name. My name is Adam Pedici. I've got a couple hundred million dollars of my own property deals that I'm currently working on. I've been in property investment for over 13 years and I've learned a lot of things along the way. And some of those I'm going to share with you today in this episode. And that is, first and foremost, why you don't buy a property in your own name. Now, I know this goes against everything that you've heard, especially if you've never bought a property or if you've only bought one property to live in. But I'm going to tell you the reasons why I would not buy property in my own name or the one and only reason where I would buy property in my own name. Now, I've personally never bought a property that's been in my own name. I've always put them up into structures, whether that be company and or trust structures. So that's how I've purchased even from my very first property I did, which was 13 years ago, I bought that in a company structure. So I never, ever bought anything in my personal name. And up until recently, I've never actually lived in a property that one of my companies has owned. So I've never actually lived in a in a property that's been my own as such. I've either rent vested or I've lived in a project where I've been able to leverage from the project. The property is there available and I've lived in some really substantial homes on big blocks of land because that property is to be developed over the next couple of years. So I have moved around a little bit in that regard because I've put all of my money back into investing in property and not purchase my own home. So you can either do the same. You can do rent vesting, rent in a property or in an area where you otherwise wouldn't buy and then use that otherwise buying money to go out and do investment properties and do property developments. Or you can live in your own property development projects instead of leasing them out to other people. So I've literally done both over the course of the last 13 years. And it hasn't been until recently that I've actually purchased a property solely to live in and not necessarily as a project to do. So that's been my journey along the way. And this, and I'm going to tell you about the only way I would buy property in my own name. And if you are just starting out, have a listen to this and this can you know accelerate your growth, but it can also stunt it. So you've got to weigh up the pros and cons of doing it. So the only reason or the only way I'd actually buy property in my own name would actually be if I was a first-home buyer and I got concession from the government around stamp duty and then I got, say, a builder's grant or some other grant from the government. So that could be $15,000 home builder grant or it could be you know, a, a stamp duty saving of another 15000 So if you're just starting out, that 30000 may go a long way towards adding to your already deposit. So that would be one reason why I'd buy it in my own name. I'd leverage from those other grants that the government's giving me. I mean, you don't say no to free money. If the government's giving you money to buy your first home, you know, you take advantage of that, especially when you're starting. Now, the reason why I didn't take advantage of that is I didn't want the $30,000 that the government was giving me. I was happy to forego that because I was looking at projects where I was going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars at the time. And that's what I decided to do. I went on the project route where I would make hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of utilizing the $30,000 as the government grant. Then you can go either of two ways. But look, if you're more conservative and you just want to start off steady and you want to just buy one house and then build up, you know, that's the way to do it. Go and get the $20,000, $30,000 from the government. Buy a house, put it in your own name, live in there, but then realize that that cash, that gain, and realize it tax-free. So that means that you need to sell the property. Now, you do have buying and selling costs. So keep that in mind as well. And that's the real advantage with buying a property in your own name is that when you sell it, that capital gain is all tax-free. Now, that is a major advantage 
but one that can also hinder you with buying property in your own name, which I'm going to explain as well. So that's the only way I'd buy property in my own name is if you're going to get some grants from the government, you're going to live there and then you're going to make a capital gain on it. And then you realize that capital gain tax free when you sell it. Then after that, you might be thinking, well, what do I do after that? Do I just buy another property in my own name? No, I would definitely not do that unless you've got a heap of serviceability. Um, but even then, there's really no point in buying a property in your own name. Again, unless you're planning to live there and then, you know, on sell it tax free. You know, that strategy I've seen people use and they move around every 12 months because that's the strategy they're doing. And if you're happy to do that and you're making this cash tax free, then, you know, go for it and keep doing that. But if it's going to limit what other properties you can buy, then I would not do it personally. So in other words, what I mean by that is if you buy a property in your own name and you max your serviceability, so max your borrowing capacity by doing so, then you're stuck and you can't buy additional investment properties. And you can only sell that property. Well, the only way you're going to free up serviceability and borrowing power is to actually sell that property. Now, you can do that the first time around, but if you want to build up and accumulate multiple properties, you're going to have to be a bit smarter than that. In other words, you're going to have to not put that property in your own name. So alternatively to that, you can buy a property, whether you live there or not, you can buy a property in an entity structure. That can be either a trust or a company. You need to get advice about this from your accountant, which is the best way to go. But you also need to bounce this off your finance broker as well. Don't just go to the accountant and say, what's the best tax structure I need to put this in? He'll probably tell you your personal name. Um, you know, Don't necessarily listen to you know, the accountant or the finance broker, you've got to be the one to make the final decision. You know, take into account what they're saying, but you need to be the one to direct your consultants. So take on, on board that advice and then make the final decision. And that final decision can only be actually made properly by considering all aspects and all professionals. And if you're new to this game and you've never done it before, you're probably going to disagree with me. And I've had plenty of comments on different videos saying don't buy a property in your personal name. And lots of people disagree. People are happy to comment and say they disagree. So let me know in the comments if you do disagree with this um, because chances are you are in the 99.92% of people that don't own four or more investment properties because that is the stat. So, I mean, if you are in that statistic, if you own less than four investment properties, you're in the 99.92%. So if you're reading other people's comments saying this isn't true, this doesn't work. Most people don't get above four investment properties. That's the reality. I was, I was reading the stat the other day. I was actually quite shocked. I thought more people actually own more than four investment properties. The circles I hang around, you know, 99.98% of those people own four or more investment properties. So I just think it's normal for people to accumulate multiple properties, but it's actually not. So don't listen to the naysayers that say this isn't true, this isn't possible, because I'm sitting here telling you that I'm a testament to that and that's been the way that I've been able to accumulate more than four properties and apparently I'm in the top 0.08% of people and when you boil it down I'm probably in a much smaller demographic than that so what I'm teaching you if you're still listening what you're listening to only a very few amount of people know so when you actually boil it down to the numbers that 0.08% of people that own Eight, oh, sorry, four investment properties or more is actually less than 100,000 people in Australia. And so if you boil it down to maybe you own 10 or more investment properties. So look, I'm in the category of owning well and truly more than 10 investment properties. So as a percentage, I, I may only be part of 
a group of say 10,000 people, for example, that, that own that many properties. So there's not many people that are actually doing this strategy and doing it well. So that's why this goes against the grain. This is different to what most people think because most people don't get to own that many investment properties. That's just the reality. Most people see property as a home to live in and they'll pay that mortgage off over 25 or 30 years. You know, that's fantastic for those people. And if you are happy just to own one property, then this isn't for you. But if you want to own more than one property, retire early, quit your job or you know, make passive income in or through property, you know, listen up because this will actually change the way you invest and this is actually going to change the game for you. So let's backtrack to what I was talking about. Now, the alternative to buying a property in your own name is to actually put it into a structure and a structure being a company or trust or a combination of the two. And again, you need to get advice about this and you need to make the final decision on what you, what you put this or what structure you set up for this property purchase. But you set up a property or you set up a structure, you put that property into the structure and then you have that property pay for its own expenses. So in other words, it covers the debt, it covers the mortgage repayment so you don't have to. And then that way you can push that property one side, you don't have to worry about it. And then your finances also don't look at it as well when you go for the next property loan. Now the next property loan, you're going to have to put up the deposit again. So you can't just buy property out of thin air. You're going to have to put up some sort of deposit and whatever your gearing is with your finance, you're going to have to put up, you know, the deposit. If it's 90% loan to value ratio, you're going to have to put up 10% deposit plus stamp duty. If it's 95%, you're going to have to put up 5% plus stamp duty. Me personally, I don't normally go above 80% loan to value ratio. So in other words, I'm going to come up with 20% deposit plus the stamp duty on top of that. That's just how I like to play because 80% is that LMI cutoff for a lot of professions. So I just don't play any any further above that 80% um, on the deals that I do. So every time you buy property, you still need to come up with the deposit as cash, but you need to keep in mind that that cash can be generated from the first investment property. So when you buy your first investment property, you buy it in a structure, the rent covers the mortgage, and then that property grows in value. And if you've done it properly, you should have bought property under market value to start with, which means that you've locked in instant equity. So you're not necessarily relying on the capital growth as much. Now, you want to be buying in high growth locations just as a rule of thumb. And in my programs, I teach how to look for those, those high growth locations, not just through the data, but also from what's happening on the ground through how developers change the values of properties and for a lot of areas that are undergoing development it actually increases the value of property now it can do the opposite as well but i'm not going to go into that in this session but developers do increase the value of properties or can increase them in certain areas that are in transition so you know buy a property under market value buy it in a suburb that's growing in value and then you've got that equity that you can then go and recycle and use it as the next deposit and then you use that deposit by the next property, you do exactly the same thing. You buy it under market value, you might add value through renovation or development, and then you refinance that equity out, and then you go again and you buy the third property and you just rinse and repeat that same cycle over and over. And after you build up a number of properties, it's normally three or four. Once you get to that level, then you start to experience exponential growth because each property is now growing, providing again, they're in high growth locations. Each property is growing independent of one another and that equity gain is happening year on year. And if you've bought in good locations with restricted supply, you bought unique properties and they're in high growth locations, you bought them well, 
those properties are going to continue to increase in value year on year. You're going to go through cycles where some years it's going to be flat, other years it's going to have double digit growth. That is part of the property cycle. The property cycle doesn't grow you know, every year at the same at the same pace. It goes some years are going to go really fast, other years are going to go slow. So you know in the fast years, you're going to realize all of this equity gain. You can redraw that equity or have it sitting there for when the market sort of flatlines a little bit. And then you jump back in and you might buy another two or three investment properties. That's normally how it works. You normally don't go one this year, one next year, one the year after. It's never the same. You normally go one this year, one or two next year, and then five the year after because you've had this big equity gain and then you know, you've know you seen opportunities come about. So that's actually how I, how I do it, how I've been able to to build up a big portfolio, um, among other things as well. You know, but I have generated 99.9% of my income and wealth through property. And that has been through buying extremely well, adding value through developments in my case, for a lot of cases, but also through renovation. And then either on selling those properties, realizing the cash or keeping them long-term and then being able to obviously accumulate a number of different properties that way. If you got any comments or Want to know anything further, please let me know in the comments below. Happy to hear from those. And if there's anything further you want me to clarify, would love to do some more videos around this particular topic because I know a lot of people disagree with it and don't understand the advantage of not buying a property in your own name and being able to rinse and repeat that serviceability, that borrowing power over and over to build up a big property portfolio. Thanks for watching. Have a good one.